welcome to the Life Cycle Lady Podcast, a place to be to talk about all that we wonder, whisper, and wish we knew about our bodies, hormones, and life cycle changes. In this space, I offer vulnerability, wisdom, connection, and helpful transformational mind-body-spirit tools. Please join me as I take the stigma out, stop the whisper, and speak out loud about life cycle phases from puberty to menopause. Welcome to episode number 12 of the Life Cycle Lady podcast, everyone. I am happy that you found yourself here today. Um, if you've been with me from the beginning of this podcast journey, you know that I like to start off by talking about where the, the what I call whispers come from each episode. You know, the whispers are those things that we all talk about and we want to know about, but we don't ask people about. Kind of those private questions about parts of our body, about parts of our cycles, that at some point we're probably taught that we're shameful or embarrassing or just something that we probably that we just live with but don't talk a whole lot about. So I happen to be that lady that people whisper to. So um, that's kind of the idea where this came from to speak onto people's whispers. So in this episode, I'm actually going to speak directly on a a topic that many people whisper about to me, mostly when things aren't really going right. Because most of the questions I get about menstrual cycles in particular, no matter what the phase you're at in your journey, whether you're in puberty or um, in your maidenhood or, you know, entering the end or in perimenopause, um, people really just talk to me when things aren't going right. They're not normally coming to me for education, which is kind of a bummer, honestly, on my end. (laughs) Um, Although there is education obviously going on when I'm trying to get people to heal and get them back on the right track. Um, So today I'm going to be talking all about menstrual cycle problems and specifically the oh-so-sexy topic, or should I say taking the sexy out of estrogen um, and calling it we're going to address estrogen dominance. So I ask you all to stick with me no matter what age or stage you are at because this topic is something that all of us menstruating women should know about. It affects so, 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 so many of us. And it's good to know even if this is not affecting you. Um, I'm going to hopefully cover it in super easy to language. Like what the heck is it? the symptomology of it, or what it might look like. Um, In fact, you might already be having this happen, or some version of estrogen dominance, some, not really version, what I want to say is more like some um, gradient of it. And I'm going to address what the heck it is and how the heck to help yourself. So first, let's talk about why our menstrual cycles are so damn important. And what a shame it is that so many of us really don't much about them. And I have to say, ladies, I was totally this person as well at one point in my life. You know, I entered puberty with the bang pretty early on um, and had a lot of menstrual cycle issues also pretty early on. And eventually, as the story goes, for oh so many of us was put on the birth control pill around, I think I was 13. Um, and really looking back on it, because of the length and of my periods, I'm pretty sure I actually had estrogen dominance, which is really, really common, actually, 
it would be common for teens, and I'll tell you why in a minute. It's common at certain points in life, but it would definitely be common for teens, more common than te in teens. So menstrual cycles are so incredibly important, and it's like a topic that no one wants to talk about. No one wants to hear about it. They're just like, oh, that thing, I don't really want to deal with that thing. However, there is definitely a resounding movement of women that want to know more and want to connect with their menstrual cycle. Um, and I say, thank God it's about time because it is such an important part of our life and is such an important part of our health. Um, and it can tell us so much about our body, both physically and health-wise. And also, in my opinion, it can tell us a whole lot about our emotional and even spiritual health. Um, so I'm going to assume that those of you who are listening um, are hoping to gain as much information as you can. And so I'm going to start like way basic by talking about the two major female hormones at play in the menstrual cycle. Obviously, there is a whole lot more hormones than estrogen and progesterone. But those are the two I'm just really going to focus on today because those are the two that really come up during um, this thing called estrogen dominance. So estrogen does so many things for our bodies. It builds the uterine lining, it helps us with our bone health, it helps us with our heart health, it helps us with our moods and regulating our moods. It help us, helps us regulate cholesterol in our liver, which helps our liver function really happily, and like tons more things. There is not just one type of estrogen, there's three different types of estrogen, um, and some are more easily, some are more harmful than others to our body, and some are more, although on the flip side, it could also be more helpful. So, um, there is an abundance of estrogen at the beginning of our cycle, right? Estrogen kind of starts off from a, like a zero, and then it slowly goes up throughout the cycle. Um, whereas progesterone, which is something I want to call uh, our peace hormone, Progesterone helps us with sleep, it helps us keep pregnancies, um, and it really helps just with that like mood stabilization and just the mellowness, right? So if estrogen was more of the like go, 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 do, do, do kind of um, hormone, it's also a caretaking hormone, I would say. Progesterone is more of like the mellow, like the flip side. Like estrogen would be the exhale and progesterone would be the inhale, like the, the pause. So those two, two things, um, those two hormones work together in our menstrual cycles. No matter if you, um, no matter what kind of menstrual cycle you have, those things are working together. So in a nice healthy menstrual cycle, you would get the estrogen kind of slowly building up post-menstruation. Um, and it slowly builds and builds and builds until about ovulation. And then it basically it slowly starts to decline. Whereas estrogen or progesterone is coming in towards the middle phase of that cycle when right when you're ovulating. It kind of is starting to peak a little bit after ovulation, right? It's helping the second part of your cycle. It's obviously helping because um, what, what happens is when you actually ovulate, uh, the egg is coming out. And when the egg is ruptured out of its little follicle, what is left is this like little... I don't know, sac or a wound, you might call it, on the outside of your ovary. And what that is, is actually turns into something called the corpus luteum. And that actually signals to your body to produce progesterone. So in case you were to actually, you know, get a baby, 
have a baby and it would help you keep the baby. It would eventually help you grow a placenta, right? So that is what the main purpose of progesterone is. So then what the heck is this thing called estrogen dominance? And why do so, so many of us out there have it? So I think even just by the word, it's pretty self-explanatory. Estrogen dominance is basically an imbalance in the hormones that's occurring, making estrogen more dominant than progesterone. So it basically means that there is too much estrogen in relation to progesterone. So in essence, it could mean that you have too much estrogen in your body, or it could also mean that you have really low progesterone in your body, which is actually throwing your estrogen out of balance, right? It could be kind of two of one of those two scenarios. So in the end, it, it really, it's going to manifest the same way. Um, and how you would actually know if it was one or the other, there's a few different ways. Um, so when that corpus luteum, the little factory where your progesterone is made, um, or wound, that what I just called, probably not the best way, but that's what came, my brain came up with on the fly. Um, that's what I'm imagining in my head. So when you ovulate, your body actually produces in that corpus luteum about 25 milligrams of progesterone every day through the fertile phase of your cycle, or it should produce that amount. Um, if you have a hormone imbalance, if you have that estrogen dominance and you have a luteal phase insufficiency, that means the second part of your cycle is, is short, then you have a progesterone deficiency, right? So that means you're probably failing to reach that progesterone peak in the second half of your menstrual cycle. And so that means there's a huge drop in the very hormone that's helping you promote that calm and helping for fertility and helping you have a stable menstrual cycle. And that also means, as I just described, that your estrogen is therefore too high in relationship to the progesterone. So either way, that's just like a little quick way to kind of help you understand if maybe you just have too much progesterone, if that's more of the culprit, or if it's indeed you're having too much estrogen. Sorry, I needed some water. Super dry in Colorado at the moment. Um, so how do you actually know, like what are the signs or symptoms that you're experiencing something like this? So symptoms like, um, this is my major symptom. Um, I definitely have um, low progesterone, which means that I definitely have uh, been healing from estrogen dominance myself. And how one of the ways mine comes out, and one, a very common way, is through migraines. Specifically migraines, and we're not just talking headaches, but like full-on migraines right before you start your period. Another way a very, very common, common symptom is heavy and irregular menstrual bleeding. So this could be that bleeding where women often, when they whisper to me, they're like, um, I tell them that they're supposed to, you know, like two tablespoons of blood is what normally comes out of a menstrual cycle over the whole course. And they're like, oh my God, no, 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 no. I am like bleeding through a tampon, like every half an hour and I have to wear a pad underneath and the first day I can't even like leave my house maybe even two days I can't leave my house they're so 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 heavy 
and they're probably pretty irregular. My guess is, more common than not, they're probably like every 21 days. Um, or sometimes they could be like every two weeks, right? And they're just super heavy and they often last a long period of time. They're often very dark in their color. They're often very cloddy in their color or in their consistency. Um, so that's probably a really, really common one. Another common one is breast, um, like fibrous breasts, like really sore breasts. Not just like in, during your PMS time, but pretty much you have sore breasts or even during the PMS, they're so sore that like you can barely even brush them yourself. Um, you also might have fluid retention or just like raging PMS um, and anxiety. And sometimes fibroids, uh, ovarian fibroids can also be caused by, by um, estrogen dominance. So a question I often get asked is, do I need a test to know if I have estrogen dominance? I would say no, and maybe. <laughs> really simple, right? Some of the same symptoms of estrogen don dominance might also be caused by a thyroid issue. And so if you're experiencing some of these symptoms, I would actually recommend getting a full thyroid panel, a full thyroid panel, not just the TSH or the thyroid stimulating hormone, right? You would want a full thyroid panel. In terms of like your actual estrogen, I would say not at the beginning, no. Um, because of a lot of different factors, one of them is your levels change all the time. So you could, you could capture your hormone test at day number 10 of your cycle and then do it again day 10 next cycle and you could get completely off to totally different results. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason um, that most of the reasons that I talk about why this starts to occur um, later, but things like stress and what you've been eating, like they can totally contribute to what's going on really, really quickly. Um, and so I would say definitely go get a thyroid test, see, make sure that's going all right. As far as like an actual hormone panel, the gold standard is the Dutch test. Um, and so if you are going down that route, however, what I am going to share with you today about like where it's coming from and things you can do, what I normally when I work with women, what I normally do with my line of defense is, let's first start with some of these things that I'm gonna share with you today. And then let's see if, what I notice is within two to three months, even sometimes one month, things are getting a lot better. Um, and if by the end of three months, there's just really no change, then you might wanna go down the testing route. But at the very beginning, it's pretty like pretty easy to know whether or not you have this, right? pretty um like I said women are often like I cannot leave my house because I'm bleeding so much it's a very big sign um so what are some of the main culprits like what are the reasons why we would get endocrine um endocrine estrogen dominance so the reason why I said endocrine actually is because it could be an endocrine disruptor I did a whole podcast on what the heck an endocrine disruptor is, um, so you can check that out. 
but it's basically the things that we find in our body, the air we breathe, like the smog that we breathe, the things that might be in our water, sometimes in our food or in our food packaging, also the things that we put on our body in terms of lotions and soaps we wash our clothes in, all of these chemicals that we're surrounded and bathed in on a daily basis are often mimicking estrogen in our body, but like estrogen on steroids. So they're either making it really hard for us to deal with estrogen we have in our body because they're attacking or there's so much of them our liver is bogged down, or they're actually mimicking and increasing our estrogen in our body. And like a lot, like this is a big thing. Um, so again, you can check that out if you want to more, know more information. But endocrine disruptors are a very big reason why a lot of women get um, estrogen dominance. Another huge, huge reason is stress. Like huge, 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 huge reason is actually stress. And so this might even show up as like, well, you might say some of my cycles are crazy heavy like that, but then, you know, but they're not, it's not every cycle, right? So it could even just be the stress that you're in certain months is just causing this response sometimes, right? And so, um, and you know, I actually want to mention why you would have so much bleeding. So estrogen is actually telling your body to build up that uterine lining. And so if you have so much estrogen, it's just like building and building and building and building and building. And then there's very little release, right? And so um, that's why you're getting one of the reasons why you're getting so much bleeding because there's so much of that uterine lining. So back to stress. Stress is, has the same, I'm trying not to go into too much detail to, to bore you. Let's just say that stress has the same kind of like, hormones are like uh, dominoes. So you, like there's one that will cause another, that will help another, that will help another, like the production of them. So if there's like a mama hormone that is in charge of both stress and is which is the hormone cortisol and adrenaline, right? So there's that mama hormone. And the same mama hormone is also in charge of progesterone. If your body is in stress, meaning like you have a stressful life at the moment, like you're go, go, going all the time, you have a lot on your plate at work or with your family or you're a season of life that's really stressful or somebody's sick in your family or, you know economics are hard, like whatever stress reason you have, then added on to that could just be stress of like, it's cold in the winter. That's a cold stress. That's stress on your body. Or um, you maybe like nutrition wise, you're not doing super great. That's also a stress on your body. Like stress on your body could be from a lot of different things. But if you're in a, under a lot of stress, there's a lot of cortisol then pumping through your body because your body doesn't know if the tiger that you're seeing is imagined. So even if you're thinking a whole lot of negative thoughts about yourself or others, that is stress. It's releasing cortisol. And therefore, you're not producing progesterone. Or as much progesterone. Because the stress is actually robbing your body of progesterone. It is a huge, huge, huge reason why you would have low progesterone, right? Another reason why you might 
be having estrogen dominance is having actually excess body fat greater than 28% because body fat actually produces and stores more estrogen. So that would be a big reason why you might have more estrogen, more estrogen flowing through your body. That would probably be that you truly have more estrogen, not that you just don't have enough progesterone. Another reason is blood sugar issues. Blood sugar issues can just wreak havoc on the endocrine system and on our hormones. And there's so many things and diets out there that really can disrupt our blood sugar um, that people are really, really into. And maybe they work for you. And also maybe they're wrecking your hormones. So really trying to keep a stable blood sugar throughout your day um, and for different people, I gotta say, for different people, this is gonna be different. For me, I, intermittent fasting totally works fine for me. There is nothing, um, about me going a long period of time with my blood sugar issues that causes any extra symptomology, right? I, I used, I tried that when I was going through my healing process. There was nothing, when I switched that, there was nothing that really, I didn't see any difference, basically. Um, with my curiosity around that. So that works for me. For some women, it totally does not work for in terms of blood sugar. So blood sugar issues is a pretty key one that you're going to want to tuck in the back of your memory. Um, most of the time when people are dealing with um, estrogen dominance, they're really focusing on just one or two layers to start with, right? Like stress resilience, or getting some of these endocrine disruptors out of their life, then they'll notice for at least a month, two months in, they'll notice a, a good difference. And then they can like tackle maybe some more of the blood sugar issues. Another is nutrient issues. So just like what you're eating, are you eating a ton of fatty foods? So there's like good fats and there's bad fats, right? And so are you eating a lot of like the standard American diet is pretty fatty diet, you know? Um, so are you eating a lot of fatty foods, a lot of fatty oils, or are you eating like avocados and kind of um, olive oils and olives and coconut oils, right? So kind of looking at what fats you're, you're looking at. And also look at how many carbs. So carbs, again, not bad. It's just like what kind of carbs are you getting? How are you getting them? And are you getting them even to like combat some blood sugar issues you're having? Um, so kind of looking at some, some of your nutrients or what's going on um, and getting more nutrient-dense food into your body. Another main culprit is actually two of the main life cycles that I deal with, and one is puberty. Um, so when girls first get their period, that first year, they don't ovulate. Uh, they only ovulate a few times. And so... For some of those girls, that means the progesterone can be pretty low. For some of them, it doesn't really matter, and they won't, their body is just uh, so young and their livers are doing so well that they can pretty much process the estrogen, and it doesn't really bug them that much. For other girls, it can become a big issue where they're like bleeding for several weeks, um, or 10 days, or they're having to take off school, and then they're having a little bit of a break, and then it's coming back right away. Um, and so the, you know, the standard for those, and this is what happened to me when I was a kid, is that they put them on birth control pills to solve their hormonal problems. 
I would say that this is one of the worst things that you could possibly do and probably the last case scenario. So the reason why I say that is because you're turning, puberty is turning on the conversation, the hormonal conversation between your ovaries and your brain. Um, and if you go on birth control pill, you're being put on, you're not really cycling and you're turning that conversation off and introducing a fake cycle, right? Um, so I would say that is not a good thing to do for someone going through puberty. If your daughter is having signs of estrogen dominance in this phase, I would focus more on the liver health. I would focus more on nutrients. I would focus more on um, stress reduction. They have a lot of stress, those teenage girls. Um, exercise, kind of just getting things flowing, probably some acupuncture, but I, the last case scenario would actually be, in my opinion, um, to get them on birth control. I would also sometimes polycystic ovarian syndrome in teens can somewhat mimic, um, especially the irregular cycles. So if you are concerned, you might, the only, the only way to really uh, test for Picos is actually to do like a transvaginal ultrasound. So you're looking at what's happening on the ovaries. So you can try treating it, but you also might need to go to the OB just to make sure that that's actually what you're going, you're trying to treat, right? Especially if your daughter is like on the later side of starting her cycle, maybe 15, 16, and then that's what she, and then that's what her periods are looking like. I would definitely um, suggest going in. The other main um, culprit would be perimenopause, so midlife's puberty, because the first hormone that starts to slow down for people going through perimenopause is actually estrogen. It actually starts as early as 35, slowly starts to unwind. Most women do not feel symptoms of estrogen dominance due to perimenopause until they are in their early to mid 40s. Um, and so again, Let's talk, let's, let's start to focus on what do we do with it, right? So what do we do to help, especially from a holistic way, to treat estrogen dominance? It's actually way simpler than you might think, right? Um, and in some ways it can help you feel really powerful. So the first thing is you have to be, get really connected with your cycle. You gotta like actually write down what's going on, what does the blood look like, how long does it last, what other symptoms are you having that you might not even realize? Like, um, and when are they falling in your cycle? Are you having really depressive days? But it's probably if you track like your moods, it would be on the same day or around the same point in your cycle. Are you having a specific acne at a certain time? Are you having um, all sorts of different things? Like what repetitive thoughts at certain points? Like what is your cycle actually look like on a month to month basis. Knowing that is going to help you out a lot. Also knowing like what are you craving and what are you actually eating. So you know I know there's those great cycle apps out there. Um, I don't personally use a cycle app. I'm also not an app person. I actually write everything down. So it takes like two seconds at the end of the day and I don't just do this on my menstrual cycle. I do it I mean, not on just the bleeding part. I do it the whole month long and I track kind of what that looks like. And then I can really look at my cycle 
just a few words. It doesn't have to be like pages full of information, but I can, it just helps me so much know what's going on. So the more connected you can get with your cycle and not see it as like this curse that's killing and hurting you and making you bleed and hurt, um, that will actually be really, really helpful. So number one thing I would counsel you to do would be to focus on your liver health. Because what happens is when the liver works too hard, it cannot function properly. And so toxins actually build up in the system. And high levels of any hormone, so in this case estrogen, is seen as a toxin by your body. So if your liver is really busy focusing on like all the endocrine disruptors and the like chemicals and the crazy stuff that's going on in your body, and it's like bogged down, it can only do so much, right? It can only multitask so much before it's just like overloaded. And so what happens is if your liver can't process, it actually gets reabsorbed into your body. And so that's not what you want because if you're already struggling with too high of estrogen and then now it's getting reabsorbed into the body, now you're like, it's just this bad cycle. The other thing that you should know is like, are you, how are your bowel movements, right? You know. Lot, real intimate here. How are those bowel movements? Like if you're not having a bowel movement every 24 hours, then what happens is after the estrogen actually goes through the liver, it hangs out in your intestine. And if it's not um, let go of, if you don't have a bowel movement in that 24 hours, then actually again gets reabsorbed in the body. So again, you're getting too much estrogen. So making sure you're eating liver helping foods and those would be things like cilantro. Um, I use cilantro a ton in my family. I don't even super love the taste, but I use it a ton. I have two, I have a teen and a tween, a nearly teen girl who is menstruating. And so for those kids in puberty's health and for their liver and for their hormonal support, as well as mine, who's in midlife's puberty, I put a ton of cilantro into our diet. Um, dandelion. I do dandelion only certain times of the year when it's fresh and found, um, and we tend to do it in smoothies, but you can also get dandelion in a tincture form, or you can get dandelion in tea form. I do it in tea form also. Beets. We eat a ton of beets in our house. Everyone actually loves them. It's like one of the only things. Lemons, lime, spinach, leafy greens. Those are just a few ideas of trying to help your liver, um, help support your liver. Another way of helping support your liver is helping make sure your bowel movements are flowing. So increase your fiber is one of the ways to help that. So that you're having regular bowel movements. Um, and so some foods that are high in fiber, celery, celery juice in the morning is amazing for so many, so many reasons. Um, if you can make that happen and you're suffering from this, you should definitely do that. Um, apples, berries, oatmeal, nuts, seeds, and any kind of beans are all fiber, fibrous foods that will help you have reg more regular bowel movements. And a ton of water. Like, you have to be drinking way more water than you think. Like, you just try it out. Try to see how much water you can drink and see how much better you feel. Like, I've never had someone say, I feel horrible drinking water. And yes, you're going to have to go to the bathroom more. And in my life, that like bathroom is my private time. <laughs> it's like, yay, I get to go to the bathroom more, right? Um, that's my life, at least. The other ways to help 
your liver be healthy is I don't really like telling people to de decrease anything. I'm a really big fan, big fan of telling people like, what do you love and add more of that. But I do have to say, if you're suffering from this, you have to decrease your alcohol and coffee consumption. Like the research is just astounding on women who drink alcohol and women who drink coffee and estrogen and like testing their estrogen levels. Like one cup of coffee a day for more than four days a week increases estrogen levels by 20%. That's a lot. And so if you're drinking multiple coffees a day and you're struggling from this, like you gotta decrease your coffee. And coffee, I also, I would just say you gotta cut it out if that's possible for you. you gotta wean yourself off and find, yummy yeah, like cacao. Cacao is a thing now, right? People drink like ceremonial cacao. Like replace it with something yummy and satisfying. I don't know about you, but I don't find tea. I love tea, but I don't find it as satisfying as coffee. Um, I've also had to go off coffee and it, it makes me sad too, but my body and specifically like my breasts feel so much better when I'm not drinking coffee. I actually had coffee this month, so I am here sitting with sore breasts. So I feel you, I feel you, I feel you, I feel you. And I know that it is a huge way, both decreasing alcohol and coffee, of getting your hormones back on track. Um, water, we talked about water. Stress reduction. I don't know if I want to say stress reduction or stress resilience. I'm, I like telling people to try and become more stress resilient because I feel like, I don't know, stress reduction to me is just like, it would be nice to reduce your stress levels and sometimes that can make women feel even more stressed. Like, oh, I'm stressing, I can't stress, I can't stress. So just finding ways of coping with the stress and letting it stop, like put the brakes on the stress. So when you are in stress moments, finding ways of putting the brakes on that stress and not letting it take you over, right? Not letting it last for days and days and weeks and weeks or even hours or like trying to put it real quick. So one of the ways I teach in some of the classes I teach is through breathing. Like that is the best and easiest way. So when you're noticed like this happened to me today, it was kind of a stress-filled day today for whatever reason. Um, oh, probably because it just was the end of Halloween and my kids, I <laughs> they had candy. And that is not something that normally happens. So they were like crazy people. So as I was driving them to the library today, I was just like deep breathing in and out and in and out. And normally I say three breaths and I was like up to number 15, but it was definitely making me feel more present and it was turning that stress response off. So that's what you're trying to get. You're trying to turn the stress response off as quick as you can, right? Because stressing about my kids and feeling all that feels or stressing about all the work I had to get done, like none of that is going to make any of those things better. But stopping the stress or being resilient in it is actually going to make my hormones better. So that's kind of how I think about it and um, it's how I practice it. Also, it would be awesome if you could reduce stress, take some things off of your plate, um, focus on like what that looks like, what a less stressed life might look like for you. But I don't want to, if you, if I think the first step is becoming more stress resilient, right? Um, the next 
thing that you might want to focus on is getting those endocrine disruptors or as many as possible out of your life. Any of the ones that you can actually control. So again, go check out the endocrine disruptors um, podcast that I've already done. Um, diet shifting would be the next one. So you got to reduce that bad fat and increase the good quality fats, the olive oils, the walnut, the coconut oils for cooking and just really focusing on, I don't know, just focus on eating real food. You know what I mean? Like focus on whatever I focus on just eating real food. Like for me, I do eat meat. So eating meat and veg, eating more veg than meat, right? So I do like the 80-20. So like there's a little bit of meat on my plate. And the most of it is veg. Um, just eating food that doesn't come out of a box, that doesn't come out of a can, other than, you know, like your beans or whatever. Just eating that can cause you to feel oh so much better, so much quicker, right? And then focusing on that fiber and things like that. You can also focus, if uh, progesterone really is the culprit, you can focus on some supplementation to raise progesterone. B6 is a huge, huge help to raise progesterone. Um, you can also focus on, there's not actually foods. There's no food that contains progesterone in it. There is a lot of foods that can actually help you get more progesterone into your body, like help it become more available that supports the system. So foods that contain things like vitamin C are great things to help you boost that progesterone. Um, so, I mean, I think we all know where you can find food sources with vitamin C in them. Food sources that have zinc in them, um, it helps to release that follicle-stimulating hormone. And which encourages ovulation, and that also tells your ovaries to produce more progesterone. So things like, um, for zinc, I mean, you can supplement, but also things like shrimp and beef and lamb, red meat, pumpkin, and cashew nuts. Magnesium, um, it is a hard thing to get magnesium in the amounts that we actually need. So sometimes you can, I would suggest supplementing magnesium. I'm not a huge supplement fan honestly, but there are some things you're just, you just don't get a ton of. Magnesium is one of them, and it is something that we need so, so much, and it is such an important mineral that helps us preserve the progesterone levels by keeping you calm, but it also helps break down some of the estrogen, um, which helps you reduce the dominance. So magnesium you can find in like leafy greens like kale you can find it in pumpkin seeds I believe you can get it in almonds but like you have to eat pretty high like a cup of almonds a day right um lentils cacao whole grain brown rice things like that you can get some magnesium in um vitamin b6 I talked about uh you can get that in salmon bananas um, sweet potatoes, so that's why people recommend sweet potatoes, right, for progesterone. It's not because sweet potatoes have progesterone in them, but it just helps with that. Um, so you get the idea. It's, it's good to try and support your system through food. Um, if you're ever really looking for great ideas on what to cook and how to cook and what vegetables 
have what in it other than what I just named. I highly suggest the book Woman Code. It's by Elisa Vitti. She has, she actually talks about cyclical eating. So eating based on what point in your cycle you're at, eating based on your hormones, hormonal needs for that part of your cycle. I love it. I think for some women, it's way too overwhelming for them to like, holy cow, now I have to eat certain foods based on my cycle and where I'm at. I think if you're really healing from something, it's really, really helpful. And she even has like a, you know, meal plan or something. It's a great book to check out. Um, for everybody else, just what I've already mentioned will totally, just adding more of what I just mentioned, if that truly progesterone is your issue, it will definitely help you along with that stress reduction. Um, and then focusing on your blood sugar issues. So if that doesn't make you feel overwhelmed, <laughs> I want you to think about where you can start from that list. So I, I would first say start with making sure your bowels are moving. So that fiber and water um, and exercise, getting moving in a gentle way, right? No need for boot camps. Um, and if that's not your thing, just nice walks every day will definitely help your bowels start moving. Um, so that it's supporting your liver and digestive health. Drink more water. Okay, so we're again, we're making sure our bowels are moving. We're drinking more water. We're stopping the coffee, alcohol, and sugar. I mean, that right there, for the vast majority of the women who are suffering from estrogen dominance, which is a whole lot of us, but that right there is going to knock out like half of us just by those few things. For some of us, it's a bigger issue, right? It's going to take a little bit more healing, especially if you've been if you've been struggling with this for a really long time. It's going to take a lot longer for your healing, right? Um, so I would do that. Make sure your bowels are moving. Make sure your liver is supported. Drinking more water. Stop the coffee, alcohol, and sugar. And then... Um, and what, what I mean by sugar, for most of us, we, we don't have to like, is there sugar in ketchup? Is there sugar in this thing? It's just like all the excess sugar you're getting. You know what I mean? Like all the, oh, I'll just have a chocolate bar. Or, oh, I'll just have this. Or, oh, I'll just have that piece of cake at the work function. It's just like all that extra stuff. Like don't do any of that stuff. Um, and then focus slowly on getting rid of those endocrine disruptors. And again, go check out that episode to give you some simple ways of getting those out of your life that don't cost you too much time and don't cost you too much money. So I think I'm going to leave it at that. I mean, I could go on and on. There's so much information, but I think for the vast majority of you, just the information I gave you right there should be enough to help you get started on a healing path. Um, make sure you're charting, make sure you're kind of drinking water, getting your bowels moving and doing all of those things. If you have any questions, make sure you pop them down below. You're also always welcome to email me. Um, if you're enjoying the whispers that I speak of uh, and are interested in making, listening to more of my podcast, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast, either on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher. Um, and check out more of my work if you're interested at thelifecyclelady.com. So thanks for joining me, everyone. Hopefully this wasn't too boring. And um, hopefully this helps a lot of you out there. That is my biggest and um, most hope. All right. Thanks, everyone. Until next time. Bye.